Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. We just had a recruiting episode. I know we've had... I know I know people want as much recruiting. So there's, there are some people that want as much recruiting as possible. So um, that was about 40, 45 minutes of top 10 targets for 2021. We also discussed some other storylines, in-state recruiting, California recruiting, uh, Sharon Moore's impact. So check it out wherever you wherever you found this podcast. It's probably not that hard to find the other one. So uh, be sure to check this out. This one will be about basketball. They have won five straight. They have now won seven of eight. And we'll, we'll talk about a few things here. We'll talk about bracketology. We'll talk about Big Ten tournament. We'll talk about uh, Juwan Howard's establishment as as a head coach. I think I think he's like the team. He has improved throughout the season. Uh, the impact of of livers. Uh, some other maybe maybe some unsung heroes that that aren't aren't quite getting enough praise or or are getting praise and we'll just give them some more. But Steve, I want to start with with this. I was uh, there'll be a story on this over at 247sports.com and and the michiganinsider.com. Uh, I'll be running it to Tuesday. But I want to go back January 25th, arguably one of the lowest moments Michigan basketball has had in the last five years. They lost their fourth straight game, their longest losing streak in five years. They lost it at the buzzer at home to an Illinois team that they probably should have beaten. And, and you know, those that don't remember, they, they missed four free throws in the final two minutes. They were up two. Uh, they ended up losing by two. And and then obviously later that night, not that this is, this is the same thing, but um, Xavier Simpson had the traffic incident that resulted in a one-game suspension. Not really related to this comment, though, and, and Livers got injured mid-game. So there were three three major things that in that 24-hour stretch that really, uh, I, I, I'll say it, I, I think it pushed Michigan to the brink. I mean, they were, they, were kind, they were probably still in the NCAA tournament picture. It might have seemed hard to believe uh, just because their record wasn't that good. I believe at that time they were 11-8. and eight. Now they are eighteen and nine, and it looks a little different. But they, I think they were still in the picture. But it was things looked bleak. I'll say that. I mean, people left, and and I know the board was ablaze, and Twitter was ablaze with, oh, I can't believe you know, it was their third, second straight home loss. Uh, different, different kind of vibe than there was now. And I want to go back to this, and we'll talk about what we think of of Juwan and how this team has responded. Because I, frankly, I think this is. As impressive as any of John, maybe more impressive than John Beeline's late season ascents. It's hard to argue the 2018 season, but this is really something. So, so they had all these factors, and Juwan was asked how he picks up his team moving forward, and he said this: "Well, as a coach that played this game before, and I've been through those experiences. I haven't won every ball game when I was playing on the high school collegiate level in the Park District or on the professional level. So, my thing, my job is to keep coaching them up." And keep believing in this group and keep this group connected. And that's not hard to do because we have a bunch of high-character guys who are super competitive and passionate about the game of basketball. And they want the opportunity. I know they want to play tomorrow. I know they wish they could play tomorrow. And it's crazy to think. And then he also said this about missing the free throws. Uh, He says, it hurts. It hurts everyone. The hardest part in sports when you're coaching 18 to 22-year-olds, they really love the game of basketball. They're passionate about the game of basketball. And that's what makes coaching so special at this level. They're impressionable. They're craving for more knowledge. They want to get better. Uh, they're looking for the right leader to trust them. The sad part is that you come in after a game like this and they're losing and you see nothing but red eyes. And you know that heads are down. Everybody's crying involved in the locker room. And then the last one I'll say 
he said, the beauty of sport is that it's a tough sport. At times, it'll bring you down to your knees, but it will also define your character. So, Steve, with that said, I just wanted to bring that out there because that that was post-game comments from maybe you can, you're welcome to disagree. I'd say the lowest moment Michigan basketball's had in the last five years. That That's my, even though they weren't out of the tournament picture, I know they had some losses in 2017 that were worse. But the four straight losses, the injury mid-game again, um, and just the way that they they squandered an opportunity, I think a lot of people were really questioning this team. So with that said, how do you contextualize this ascent that they've had? I know they, they lost in a controversial way to Ohio State at home. Other than that, they've beaten everybody. They beat Rutgers in neutral site. They beat Rutgers on the road. They beat Purdue on the road. They beat... Nebraska and Northwestern, I know those aren't quite as impressive on the road. They steamrolled an Indiana team that is suddenly back in the NCAA tournament picture. How do you contextualize this? How do you how do you measure the amount that this team has ascended, improved, uh, really changed the expectations again, forced us all to recalibrate kind of what we're seeing in this team? Because since that since those quotes from Juwan Howard. BartTorvik.com does, um, you can do date, uh, date segmented, adjusted efficiency. There isn't a team in the country that's played better than Michigan. Hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. Number one. Um, the, the defensive effort <clears throat> and communication really seems to have, I don't know, returned, I guess. You know, because it was such an emphasis, such a strong point last year with with the Acklich. Uh They were solid defensively early in the season, but they really seemed to have kind of taken it to the next level. You know, even in that loss against Ohio State, it was not a not due to a lack of uh, defense. And then just having your best player back and healthy is is obviously another big factor in in kind of the turnaround. I think Livers being there just I don't want to say it like creates a calm but I think everybody in the floor is more comfortable in their role when he is on the floor because he's kind of that guy that pretty much kind of puts everything together for them he's the guy that can create a basket he's that other defender you know that can slow a guy down on the wing or maybe body somebody up in the post good help defender as well and he's also that guy it feels like his shooting ability is a little contagious for the rest of the team, you think about how much they struggled in the perimeter when he was out. He doesn't really look like he's missed much of a beat on the perimeter, and Michigan seems to be shooting the ball better from the outside, uh, at least in the games that he's back. So I think it's been a combination of things, but really the defensive turnaround has been what's really been impressive to me, uh, particularly down low. They really seem to have turned things around. You know, Travion Williams. I think he still statistically had a decent game, but his usage rate much higher, not nearly as efficient as he was in, the, in their first meeting in Ann Arbor. Uh, but I want to say the second round with these some of these big guys they've had to play outside of like a Garza, you know, they've done a much better job in slowing down the post players. So credit to Teske, Davis, a little bit there. Also think Michigan, you know, help defense too. Like I said, we we I think that was the big the big conversation early in the season was about how they were mostly letting them go one-on-one still a lot of instances of letting them go one-on-one. Don't get me wrong. They've still had to body guys up down low a lot, but it feels like there's been a lot more help. I guess the other thing too, and now that I'm talking it out, 
is the ascension of Wagner. And not just from an offensive standpoint. His awareness on the defensive end is is at it's one of those things that I just I don't think you can really coach or teach some of those abilities that he has. I mean, he is his hands are in on so many passes. He disrupts passing lanes consistently. You know, he's he's had at least I think he's had multiple steals at least the last two games. Should have had a couple others against Purdue. Um, I think his ascension from an all-around standpoint, you know, because even when he's not shooting the ball well, which I know he shot the ball well against Purdue, but really his shooting has still kind of struggled in the big picture. He has still had such a positive impact on the game for Michigan, whether it be getting in, getting rebounds, the extra pass. I mean, he's made a couple of the, what you call the extra pass a few times and has gotten mm-hmm. some open shots. The hockey assist. Yes. So, you know, I think his ascension is another thing where, again, coming in at the right time. You know, it's it's this team is starting to feel a lot like a, a classic beeline team where a lot of guys are really kind of starting to figure it out. DeJulius has played really well. Talk about a guy who's really stepped up defensively. Uh, I mean, he was awesome on Sunday. He was great against... Uh, Rutgers as well, in off especially off the ball, chasing guys around. You know he's had some tough assignments, and and has also has kind of continued offensively. Isn't really that other guy? I think that could create shots in the lane. So, you know, it's been an ascension of a few guys, and again, I think guys being comfortable in their roles. You wondered how Johns would react, you know, with Livers coming back after getting all that extensive playing time. I think he struggled a bit against. Rutgers, but by and large, he's still been very yeah. effective when he's been in there uh, since Livers came back. So, yeah, I feel like I feel like it's clear they're all buying in, right? I mean, the, the effort mm-hmm. is there defensively, especially, and like I said, I think offensively, uh, Wagner's ascension and I think Livers just being back just creates so many more options for Michigan on the offensive end. Think about it. I mean, they were ahead the whole game against Purdue, and Simpson was what O for ten. Yeah, didn't even make a shot, and they won that game yeah. comfort like very comfortably. You know, it's like uh, so on the road in in an environment where I think the splits for Purdue at uh, home and away are are among the most drastic in the country. So it feels a lot like a beeline team where they're starting to really kind of make uh, or look better from a layman standpoint and and gelling together. You know, heading towards tournament time. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I always think that people overstate Beeline's teams getting better. I'd argue last year's team uh, did not necessarily peak in, in late February, March. I'd argue the 2014 team just kind of peaked the whole season. They, they won the Big Ten going away. Uh, 2013, m- maybe, maybe you could argue it, but they were top 10 all season. But it is it is something, it does look a lot like 2018 where they were kind of down. They were, they're out of the Big Ten race, although technically they aren't. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But had a couple losses during the Big Ten season, and now they kind of are figuring themselves out. And it's easy, it's easy to point at Livers and say, well, he's the leading scorer. He's he, the best transition defense player they have. He is the toughest player for opposing teams to guard. I think uh, 
Brad Underwood said he has the most NBA potential on the team. All of those things can be true, and so certainly his absence makes a difference. But they also won at Rutgers without him, and they looked pretty good doing it. And it wasn't um, wasn't the prettiest game, but it, it was a game where, as you've pointed out, the defense is just it's it's they're defending like they like they did the previous two seasons. And I remember we were talking to Xavier Simpson in January, and I asked, "Well, you've been a part of some of these good defenses. Is there anything you're seeing that's different?" He's like, "Well, not every year we're going to have an elite defense." And he was almost like resigned to the fact that this year's defense was just not without Charles Matthews. Um, you know, without I guess last year they they also had Iggy Brzdakis. The year before it was Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman and Duncan Robinson. I mean, he was almost resigned to the fact this year's defense was going to be they were going to have to outscore the other teams to to keep winning. Yet, yet at the same time they they're all of a sudden their defense. I mentioned since January twenty sixth, their defense is also number one in the country, and I think. I think John Teske's defense, whatever whatever the dip was in January that he had, it seems like he's out of it, that that funk. Uh, I think there is more help defense. I think Franz Wagner, I mean, he's got, what, a seven-foot wingspan? How many, how many two guards in the country or three guards? He probably plays at the wing more. How many threes in the country have a seven-foot wingspan? Not very many. And so he can cut off passing lanes, close out uh, you know, shot angles, and then obviously Simpson is is being him, and then Isaiah Livers and Brandon Johns. I think Brandon Johns and Franz, Johns and Franz have really stepped up their rebounding. I think I think I have Franz Wagner down for seven rebounds a game uh, in the last couple weeks. And you mentioned his steals; he has eleven steals in his last eight games. So there's that too. Defense has really come together. Eli Brooks, I think his his ability to I think I think something clicked for him in that Michigan State game. I think Jawan Howard kind of dared him to be physical on defense, and he's always he's always been a heady defender. Like, he always knew where to go. He could read. You know, I actually thought his defense on Ayo Desunmu, even though he scored 27 points, was impressive. And I feel like he does a nice job of knowing how to get a guy in his left hand or knowing how to, you know, how to push a guy, how to keep a guy out of a lane or, or premeditating things. But now that he's playing a little bit more physical defense... Obviously, we'll see how his health is uh, before they play Wisconsin. But I think putting putting a body up against somebody has really helped him hit a, hit another level defensively. And the big thing with that is these last two games they have not shot amazing from three point range. I believe it was twenty nine percent against Rutgers, and then against Purdue is twenty four percent. Two road games where they shot below thirty percent from three, and they won both games by eight. That is the sign of a team that that has figured out how to win defensively. And that was that was kind of how they made it to the national title game in 2018. They had a good offense and then they found the defense to to kind of almost carry them in games where the shots weren't falling. I think the perfect example uh, in, in that season was when they played Florida State in the Elite Eight. And it was what a fifty-four to fifty or sixty-four to sixty type game, very low scoring, but their defense hung hung tough and and did the job. So I've always believed the more ways you know how to win, the more likely you are to win in March. And I think this team, I think the I think the losses were necessary for this team because 
I you know we had the discussion the other day how many how many more wins would they have if they had had Isaiah Livers healthy all season? I think it's fair to say maybe two, maybe three, and that would put them right in the mix for the Big Ten title. But I also wonder would they have lo- would they have this stretch had they had Livers the whole time? Would they have this current run that they're on without the four straight losses before that? Because I think I think there's something to be said, and Beeline always says this. It's it's not how many games you lose; it's how how well you learn from the losses. That's probably a sports cliche that John Beeline didn't invent, but still, that was always a big emphasis in Michigan's culture. Was you can't normalize the losses. You can't when it, when you lose, you can't say, well, you know, Michigan lost because of this or this. You know, they they don't have enough talent, or they don't have. Um, you know, the other team's just better. You know, not accepting losses as a normality and and letting them humble you, letting them fuel you. Easier to do in basketball than other sports because you, you do play more, you play 30 games. Football, obviously a loss is a way bigger deal because it could define whether you're playing for anything all season. But I, I think those four losses, I think Michigan needed those. When they lost, they lost at Minnesota, at Iowa, home against Penn State, and then home against Illinois. I'd contend three of them were winnable. I just re- They really never had it against Penn State. I know they had it within five points at one point, but it just was not their night. And I don't know if, I don't know if Livers could have helped them in that game. But regardless, I think they learned from the losses. Uh, Steve, I know you got only a couple minutes before you got to take off. Uh, anything else to add? I know they they play they host Wisconsin, then they travel to Ohio State. Uh, anything anything you're looking to see them continue to improve upon? Uh, but in in this stretch, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say. Well, they could be better at this and that, but I I do think, I mean, the Big Ten's a gauntlet, and and this this all these good good vibes that Michigan has, they could disappear very quickly uh, because of the caliber teams that they're facing. Uh, just keep it going on the road. And what I mean, I don't mean necessarily mean going to Columbus, going to College Park and win those games, but I think continuing to play competitively on the road will go a long way for them confidence-wise mm-hmm. uh, heading into the tournament. Again, I know the tournament uh, neutral site, but still, you know, not being on your home floor against some legitimate competition – you know, I think would probably be the one thing that I kind of think about. Also, kind of continually continuing the consistency on, on the from the perimeter. I mean, that's going to be key for any team. But for them, just because Simpson has always done such a great job of creating open shots for these for his teammates, I think it's imperative that Michigan's got to continue to hit these shots when they're open. Uh, again, very simple, common idea there but but really you know I think Simpson is is arguably the best in the country one of the, easily one of the best in the country at getting his teammates open shots so you know Michigan's got to be able to hit those they got to be able to take advantage of what they have in Simpson's creative ability so you know and, and that's that can be an equalizer on the road against a Maryland you know who's going to be a, a problem for Michigan's they're only meeting against Maryland I watched Maryland at Ohio State on I believe it was Sunday, and Maryland's got Maryland's got a lot of shooters. Uh, it's not going to yeah, be easy. They look, they look. They just have an eye test look to them. I, I agree. Too. They, they look, just look really good. I agree. They look different than they they have 
in pre I like I like Ayala, I like Wiggins as guys who really I think are kind of the difference makers for them. I mean everyone knows about Cowan, everyone knows about Sticks, but Wiggins, Ayala, I think are guys who can make a big difference for them, especially from the perimeter. So, you know, I think Michigan in that game specifically, but really again to finish out the regular season heading into March, you gotta be able to take advantage of what Simpson is creating because I mean, we've seen a couple games this year where he would probably have like 14 or 15 assists if guys were hitting open shots. Actually, if they were even hitting half of the open shots that he was getting them. So, you know, I think that's a big thing. And then really to con- just continue the defensive effort. Because defense mm-hmm. defensive ability is a lot of it's predicated on effort communication. Feels like they've come a long way in that regard. They have weapons defensively. Again, I would not say Wagner is not a Charles Matthews at all, particularly in one-on-one type situations, but he's he's developing into a guy who can be a big problem on the wing for the opposition. And, you know, so to can kind of continue that momentum defensively, I think will be key, you know, so really a lot of the same stuff it would be anyway. Continue to shoot the ball well when you're open and, and keep the effort up defensively. Mm-hmm. All right. With that, we will turn our attention a little bit to this road ahead. I, I know Steve got us started on that, on that topic. Uh, but then we can also look at bracketology. We can also look at the Big Ten tournament. As it stands today, Michigan would be a seven seed in the Big Ten. Uh, but there's, there's a long, long way to go. There are currently, uh, well, on, on one hand, Michigan could climb. There are currently five teams tied at 10 and 6. So Michigan is one game away from second place. Now, I'm not sure... The tiebreakers, it really depends on how many teams are tied with Michigan when it's all said and done and how many and which teams they're tied to. Um, head-to-head will be probably... Head-to-head against all the teams tied will be the main tiebreaker. So these next four games, they're, they're playing a Wisconsin team that's 10-6 and six in the Big Ten. They're playing an Ohio State team that is 8 and 8 eight, but is also on a similar rise that... Um, that Michigan is on. So I, I would not be surprised to see them finish 11 and nine. That's where Michigan's projected to finish too. Uh, and then, then Maryland, that's, that's the one team they haven't played so far. Well, Wisconsin as well, but they're the last team on the schedule, 22 and five, 12 and four in conference. And I'm actually starting to come around just a little bit on Maryland. I know that they, they are 22 and five, but they actually haven't played that many what I would call quadrant 1A games. Actually, that's what the NCAA calls them. I believe they're 2 and 5 in those games. Michigan is 5 and 4. And so they do get Michigan in their home arena at the Xfinity Center, one of the largest arenas in college basketball. Uh, in fact, it's the 14th largest, 17,950. I've been there. I thought it was an amazing atmosphere. So Michigan will have a tough test there. Uh, they also have a gimme. I'll say it. It's it's a gimme. Home game against Nebraska. Um, there's there's really. I mean, if they lose that, then they then they didn't want to be contending for much this season in the first place. So, um, you know, Nebraska. They've played hard. They've played tough. They just don't have. They had way too much roster over, roster turnover this season to be competitive. Um, so that that leaves really three three flip games, and so. Wisconsin, at home, you would expect them to win that, but Wisconsin has been playing well as of late. Ohio State on the road. 
I think for Michigan, who's currently 22 in the net rankings, I think if they win one this week, home against Wisconsin at Ohio State, I think you could see the move to around 20. I think they'd be on that on that 5-6 line. And then I think if they win both, then I think they can move up two or three more spots, maybe into that 18-17 role where they're they're poking their head at that four, that four line. And then you know, hold serve against Nebraska. Maryland, that, that game's a house money game. That that game I, I would not I would not go into College Park expecting them to win. I don't think that they should have that mentality, but I'm saying as far as fans trying to understand the brackets and, and how these things work, it's the best team in the Big Ten. And it's it's in their home arena. Maryland has not lost this season at home. They they all their losses have been on the road and they have all been to uh, top 30 teams. So not not a team that that's going to going to take that matchup lightly. We'll see where Maryland's at. They they have to go to Minnesota. They host Michigan State. They have to travel to Rutgers and they host Michigan. They're going to have to earn that Big 10 title. They have a have a two-game cushion right now at 12 and 4. They're going to have to earn it. Back to Michigan. Couple things that are really working for Michigan with this run, they now have seven quadrant one wins among the most in the country. There's a, there's a few teams that have eight, and then I know Baylor and Kansas have have more than that. Uh, but they they have a lot of really good wins. They have the second most quadrant one A games, which I'll remind our listeners: top fifteen home games, top twenty five neutral site games, and then top forty road games. Kind of a subsection of the quadrant one that's that's even more intense. They're five and four in those games. That's going to go a long way, especially if they can finish the season above five hundred in those kinds of matchups. That's going to go a long way in terms of them because it's basically saying, yeah, they can they can hang with any second weekend team, any team that's making the Sweet Sixteen, they can hang with. So that's that's worth a few points just as their eighteen and nine record is maybe holding them back just a little bit. I mean, they're number 10 in Ken Palm, yet they're 22nd in the net rankings. And so the qualitative the qualitative stuff is in Michigan's favor. They've hung close with good teams. They've looked good in some big wins. But ultimately, some of those losses did pile up. It will be very interesting. Uh, these, I mean, these last three games, they have three Quadrant 1 opportunities and two... Quadrant 1A opportunities. And then the Big Ten tournament. I know I know this gauntlet of Big Ten teams. I know fans can get a little tired of it because it's like every team's this this you know high caliber opponent. If Michigan's trying to improve its seeding, this Big Ten tournament is the perfect place to be because they're they're great on neutral site so far. I mean, so far they they beat Iowa State, they beat North Carolina, they beat Rutgers pretty badly. And then they they beat Gonzaga by 18. So seems like when they control the basketball, when they or when they know what the bas you know the the parameters are, they get to do a couple more shootarounds. Seems like they're a pretty pretty solid team. And then as Steve mentioned, that defense that defense will travel anywhere. You know, it's it, you can you can shoot poorly and still play really good defense, and you can you can make some mental mistakes, have some costly turnovers, be a little rattled by the crowd, but you can still dig your toes in. A little bit, t- tip those heels up, 
and play some defense. And and talking to Jawan Howard, uh, trying to get a sense for where this defense has improved, I, I do think that it's a smarter defense. I think I think all the players are a little bit more aware. We talked about Franz uh, kind of acclimating to the American game, acclimating to defending college versus defending pros in Europe. Isaiah Livers being back helps. I think it helps most in transition. He is very much the director of traffic. And I think his ability to move quickly at his size helps Michigan tremendously in tra- in transition. I think Xavier Simpson, we've talked about his defense. I think I think he might have been a little in his own head in January, and perhaps that's where Livers' absence made a big deal too, is he feels like he has to do this by himself. Maybe there's a little bit less on his shoulders so he can do do what he knows how to do. Brooks playing physically. And I think the Julius and, and uh, you know Austin Davis and Colin Castleton are and Brandon Johns are kind of picking up they're picking up some things. They're they're getting better. If they can defend like they have the past four games, five games, I think they can hang with anybody. I think the shooting, uh, you know, John Teske and Austin Davis and Colin Castleton, still not cons- that all that consistent scoring from the post. I, I think that that was bound to happen when Jawan Howard talked about how much he was going to change the post offense and how the centers are going to score. A little different than Beeline. I mean, it's just like a spread quarterback switching to a little bit more pro style or a or a pro style guy being asked to do a little more dual threat. It's not quite that drastic, but if they can find some consistency there, and if they can get their three point shooting going then I think they're in they're in really good shape. And and if you're a Michigan fan, you should feel really good. I mean, this is I don't think there's any team in the country playing as well as Michigan right now. Creighton, Kansas are two that that stand out to me. You know, Duke doesn't necessarily lose a lot either. But this was a team that was on the bubble when we did the podcast a couple weeks ago. And now now they're looking like one of those one of those teams. So it will be interesting. We'll be along for the ride. I'll have lots of stories coming, including one today, based on those Juwan Howard quotes, I think that speaks a lot to the job he's done as a coach this year. He probably won't win Big Ten Coach of the Year. Pat Chambers, Mark Turgeon, Fran McCaffrey, with all the injuries he's had, um, you know Brad Underwood with Illinois uh, tournament drought, Steve Peichel. I don't know if he wins Big Ten Coach of the Year, but as far as coaching jobs mid-season, I think he's one of the top five or ten in the country. I mean, they, they really did look dead in the water. I think his X's and O's have improved. I think his late-game clock management situation, no coaching has improved. And you can see in the huddles, he's, he's, he's a master motivator. He's a master confidence builder. And some players need different... You know, different players need different types of coaches, but for this group, I think he's a really, really impressive fit. Um, he's... I don't know if that was always going to be the case. Maybe it was. But he is certainly doing doing his part to make sure this team closes the season in the best way possible. So we'll be around for stories covering this team. We'll have a press conference Wednesday, game Thursday, another press conference, I believe, on Friday. So check it all out over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. I'm Zach Shaw for Steve Lorenz. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. Let's